You're listening to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Rupnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, I am here with Colleen. She herself is donor-conceived and just recently found out within the past few years. And before that, she was going through her own fertility challenges. And so we have this really unique perspective of having somebody who is um, having fertility challenges and then also found out that she was donor conceived in the, in the midst of all that. So really can't wait to, to talk more. And uh, Colleen, I thought it would be great if you just want to tell us about a little bit about your story and, and background. Great. Thank you so much for having me and letting oh, me share. <laughs> so glad you're here. So just a brief background on me. I grew up um, in a Midwestern big city metro area. My parents um, who raised me, they separated when I was seven. Um, I think I already said I grew up with my brother too. <laughs> my dad died in a motor vehicle accident when I was 15. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, thank you. Um, and my mother remarried her uh, long-term boyfriend at that point. Okay. Um, so that's just the background of my my growing up. I'm married now, and I've worked in education for 13 years, and um, I just moved back to the Midwest. Okay. I love the Midwest. I just drove, I just drove th- through the Midwest, all through the cornfields and the the wheat fields and the grass fields and the fields of everything. And it was... <laughs> And it was beautiful and so calm and every the road and everybody drove so nicely. And then I hit Dallas. <laughs> and you know what happens in Dallas. People drive like ugh. they drive crazy. They drive crazy. So that was I, I get it why people say, you know, the driving is crazy in, in bigger cities because it was so calm and peaceful all throughout there. Yeah. So yeah, so and you and you have a brother and now, I mentioned you were donor-conceived. Did you, was your brother also donor-conceived? Yes, he was. And I'll share a little more on that in a little bit, because that definitely is part of the whole okay. um, yeah. journey of, of my discovery. So it, it kind of, because it happened first, it makes more sense to go into my infertility history. I had an ectopic pregnancy in 2015, and so that was really where my husband and my difficulties started. Mm. And we, we saw a reproductive endocrinologist and well, IVF was, was recommended for my issues. And with the possibility of ne- needing donor eggs, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I just remember how flippantly it was suggested adjusted like yeah. it was just an everyday like oh yeah and you could just get some some eggs <laughs> yeah. and I had a moment of like a, a what now like <laughs> mm-hmm. you know you're you are so not alone I hear that so many times I think it's just so common for doctors and it's there every day that they forget that that's really not everybody's everyday yeah content you know so it's like <laughs> what what are you talking about yeah it's it's quite shocking for a lot of people to get that news yeah yeah um so i i definitely knew donor eggs were not for me and i am a perfectionist and i was really worried about 
the toll that IV, IVF would take on me mentally because I just wondered like, gosh, where do you stop? You know, if it doesn't work that first time or that second time. And um, I'm very fortunate. My husband and I were on the same page where we were just like, yeah, I don't, it doesn't really seem like something for us. So in the year after that diagnosis, I was really depressed. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, you know, my feelings of self-worth and, well, what do I do with my life now? Um, Things that, you know, I'm sure most everybody goes through when they go through infertility. Mm -hmm. And some lingering questions um, along with that was like, you know, what's my legacy? Have I let down my family? I I was thinking of my deceased dad. Mm -hmm. Um, my, My brother may not have kids, you know, and I, I just felt that responsibility of like, you know, I, I let down everybody. Hmm. Was it, you said it was an ectopic pregnancy. And so did you feel solely responsible for your infertility? I mean, I always say infertility is a couple's issue, but I know sometimes when it's one person or the other has more of a, the medical issue, they tend to do, they take more of the blame. Is that, did you feel like more responsible? I absolutely did. And did. I, Mm-hmm. I took that on and, um, you know, once thing, I'm very fortunate. My husband has never, you know, communicated that he feels that way or given me the impression, but it was definitely, you know, me being hard on myself for mm-hmm. um, that first year after. Yeah. That's that, that must've been a really hard year. Yeah. And you just didn't, you, you knew at that point donor eggs, that wasn't for you. So you were just at an impasse. Like, where do we go from here? Um, well, I, I knew I didn't want to use donor eggs or try IVF. So I, <laughs> I don't think there was a really a question of, of where do we go? It was definitely like, well, we're not taking that path. Gotcha. Yeah. And that was, you know, probably the surest way of, of having a child. So mm-hmm. um, it kind of morphed into accepting a life without children, um, you know, because we, we also didn't really feel that adoption or fostering was going to be for us. So, mm-hmm. yeah. um, there's, it was kind of been a, a weird mix of, um, acceptance, but, you know, lingering hope. Yeah. Yeah. So you, at that point, you know, we're talking about a child-free life, knowing that this was, you know, there's still a chance it could happen for you, I assume. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't say I'm, 100% out of the game, but mm-hmm. we've not pursued anything else. Sometimes I think like maybe if I won the lottery or something and I could just throw money at it, maybe I <laughs> would consider it. But yeah, yeah, definitely as, as I've gotten older, I think having kids is a little less appealing <laughs> with each passing year. Yeah. Um, and that first year, a lot of our friends were conceiving and that was really hard. And um, but now they're all in like the young child phase. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. I definitely, you know, see their struggle. And while I'm sure they're, you know, I know they're very happy. The grass isn't always greener all the time. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting because this um, child-free um, topic has come up almost, I mean, I can't even count how many times in the past two weeks because I've had a couple clients come to me that are making the decision to be child-free. And then recently I interacted with an account on Instagram and she is child-free and she talks about being child-free and she's going to be on the podcast too. So I really, I think this is a really great perspective to have. I think there's not enough people talking about 
this as an option and, and what do you do and how do you do it and how do you move forward and still find joy, still find, you know, um, things in life that, that will bring you satisfaction. So, cause there are many, many, many couples who, you know, don't have options. They don't have the finances to afford treatment. Um, and they, they just don't want to move forward with a different, with any alternative uh, ways of, gr- of building their family. And so they do choose the child, child-free life. So, and they need to have that support and, and, and community too. So have you found that community in that space for you and your husband? I have, um, you know, looking at my group of friends or our group of friends, I, I think it's probably half and half where, I mean, not necessarily that we have friends who experience infertility, but that they've just chosen that path. So that's been a great support. Good. That's so good. Yeah. So good to have that. I've also had older couples approach me that didn't even have options or didn't know about any other options of, of growing their family. And they've been childhood now, and now they're in their, you know, gray years and yeah. they have their dogs and they have their <laughs> hobbies and they're traveling. And, you know, there is still a, in the couples that I've talked with, they, you know, they do say there's, there's always that space and that little part of them that wonders yeah. you know, what it would have been like but they've still had a fulfilling life. And so it's not that you can't have a very fulfilling life. It's just maybe that they did carry that wonder with them. Yeah. You know. I 100% relate to that. And mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm a little grateful, generationally speaking, that like I'm an old millennial. <laughs> mm-hmm. And just some, you know, like you said, you know, people are choosing not to for, you know, not to have children for whatever list of reasons. Um, so it's it's nice to have that space and, you know, other people who accept it and, you know, I mean, I can't think of the last time I met somebody my age and they were like, oh, so when are you going to have kids? Like people my age just don't really ask that question that often. So, yeah. And you've mentioned your age. Do you want to, do you mind sharing how old you are? Oh, uh, yes. I'm 37 now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so you you feel like you're almost past that point when it, when everybody's having babies and everybody's going to baby showers and so yeah, so that's that's kind of nice probably for you to be past that stage where you know that's not the primary focus anymore. Developmentally speaking, by the time you're approaching forty, you're past those early those you know that that's your primary goal is to reproduce, and so you're getting into the other stages of how we find meaning in life. And then again, it's like the relevancy of, of having kids at home. It's such a temporary time in your life. It takes up so much of your life for 18 years, but then when they're gone, you have to find out who you are again. And you know, you have there, you're still somebody out there besides a mother or a father. And, and that's a lot of people get lost in that role as a, as a parent. But anyway, I, I think like I'm tangenting, but I <laughs> talk to you about being donor conceived, if you don't mind. So let's talk about that. And, um, you know, how you found out and if you want to share that, if you feel like sharing that story um, and how that's impacted you and, you know, influenced your decisions and things like that. Absolutely. Um, I tested for fun, famous last words. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) With Ancestry, I I was really interested in um, just looking into our family history. Um, There was like a rumor that, you know, that we had some Romani family members that that group of people originated in India. So I was just very interested to see what I might find. And I actually ended up confirming that. But aside from the fun of, of seeing my genetics, my, my matches were a little off. 
my mother tested a little bit after I did. So that made my paternal matches easier to suss out. Um, and as far as I knew, nobody on um, my dad who, who raised me side had tested. So I, you know, but I just, I wasn't seeing any obvious last names. Um, but then again, they were mostly like fourth cousins or more. So I, I just didn't put a lot of stock into it. Yeah. In January of 2017, I got a close match, um, close family dash first cousin as a designation on Ancestry. And, you know, I started to do a little research. I went online. I found this great Facebook group called DNA Detectives. And um, there's a lot of great people there who are willing to dive into your information to see what they can find. Mm-hmm. And I learned that that designation, um, even though it goes out as much as first cousin, it's actually more like aunt, uncle, I think, is it niece, nephew as well? And half sibling was a possibility. And as far as I knew, I was like, well, I would know this person. Why don't I know this person? And mm-hmm. um, it was a woman. She used her first and last name. So my my first thought was, you know, it, did somebody have an affair? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I kind of did a, a deep dive into this woman's identity. I actually messaged her first and um, she didn't get back to me. And she, she actually deleted her account <laughs> shortly oh, after wow. I messaged her. She did. Yeah. So that was alarming. That is alarming. <laughs> so I researched and I was able to find out her family information, which I, I feel so guilty saying, because it just sounds so creepy and stalkery. Um, but you're not alone. A lot of people do that. So. <laughs> um, and I, I found her father's name, because um, I, you know, started going down that path of like, well, this person isn't old enough to be an aunt or an uncle, you know, am I the product of an affair? So I, I found, um, her father's Facebook page. And I was just immediately floored. In terms of of just looks in my family, I've always kind of been the odd woman out. Okay. (laughs) I always assumed like, you know, maybe I just had like some recessive traits, like my, um, Mm -hmm. my mom and my dad who raised me were both kind of darker skinned and dark hair. Mm. Um, my dad had curly hair. I've like pin straight hair and, mm-hmm. you know, light features and freckles. And I've, you know, this man's profile picture was like my face staring back at me. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> so that had to be just with uh, that moment. Did you know that that had to have been your, a relative of some sort to you or? For sure. I, yeah. It's it's almost tempting to like romanticize it and say, oh, I knew at that moment. And maybe that's just easier to say in retrospect now that I know yeah. the truth. So yeah, I've, I found him and um, decided, okay, I, I need to talk to my mother about this. And um, at that point in my life, my, my mother and I had a very strange relationship. We actually didn't have contact for a few years. And I invited her to my wedding, which was actually around the time of my ectopic pregnancy. And Mm -hmm. we, we kind of, you know, made up for a year and and saw each other a few times. So, you know, I just 
called her and said, hey, I, I want to meet with you. I want to talk to you about something. And in that meeting, um, it was not very fruitful for me. Mm. Um, she first said, well, you know, those tests are fake, which mm -hmm. was weird because she took the test. <laughs> yeah. And I've heard that comment. Oh, you know, those tests aren't accurate. They're, you know, they're not, they're just a bunch of hooey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, they're pretty scientific actually. <laughs> yeah. And, and she actually has a medical background. So I know that she knows better. Mm-hmm. And then she said, my, my dad who raised me, that his mother, you know, who I knew as my grandmother must have messed around. Oh, wow. She was really um, reaching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and I pointed out, well, I'm, I'm not matching with her family, so that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And then she, she started to open up a little bit about their fertility journey. She had told me years ago that it took them a while to get pregnant with me. And um, she chalked it up to, oh, your dad switched from briefs to boxers and that, you know, fixed everything. She um, told you that? Yes. She, that, she told so me she that did. years ago. Yeah. Okay. Okay. She, she knew, she knew that's not what fixed it. I don't think so. Um, and, and her bringing that up again, um, because our relationship had been so strained, I, I didn't share my infertility with her. Okay. Um, so I chose that moment because I was like, you know, if this is a, a donor thing, like, you know, maybe I just need to share my story to get her mm -hmm. to open up. Mm -hmm. So I did. And, you know, I, I told her, yes, IVF was recommended, but we, you know, we're not doing that. And mm -hmm. she didn't open up. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And um, that conversation that day concluded with her saying, well, no matter what, me and your brother are your family. <laughs> it was like, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so two days later, she texted me and, and said she wanted to meet. And I thought, okay, well, this is going to be it. She, you know, thought about it. Yeah. So we, we met up and, you know, I, I said, oh, I, you know, I was hoping he would call me. I really wanted to discuss this, this test and, you know, this weird match I had. And she said, Oh, I don't want to discuss that. I want to pay for you to have a round of IVF. <sighs> My heart just sank. I was like, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, that's mm -hmm. not, I want you to tell me the truth about this test. And, you know, she got very salty and I just said, finally, you know, we don't, we don't have anything more to discuss until you tell me more. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, tell me the truth of what's going on. And um, we have not spoken since. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah. So you don't know. Well, well, let me ask you, did you then find out more information in a different way? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, after that meeting, I, I sent a letter um, to the man. I had found the father of my possible half-sibling. And he responded within the week. I, um, wow. Yeah. He wrote back by email, um, said that at the time it was supposed to be a, uh, confidential, mm -hmm. um, situation, but yes, he, he was a sperm donor and, uh, he was a, a med student at the time. He's a doctor now. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think like a year later, our relationship was officially confirmed after I took a 23andMe test because he had tested with them. Yeah. And it showed up on your results? Yes. Okay. Yeah. As a match. Yeah. And did it show up like def definitive as a, 
as him listed as your father? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so it was anonymous don- donation and he was a med student. Was he told that his sperm would be used to conceive or for medical experiments or what was he told? He didn't initially share that information in that mm-hmm. email. Um, I was able to meet him for the first time this year and I believe he was interning at the same hospital where he gave the donations and it was over a two-year period. He, he was told it was for um, couples who needed help conceiving a child. Mm-hmm. Like I said, he only did it for two years because he shared that he was engaged and he finally told his fiance and, and she asked him to stop donating. Okay. Did you see the case recently that's come out and the doctor in, I want to say, Ohio, who is suing the um, medical center for using more vials of his sperm for conception than he, um, than he agreed to? Wow. I did not. I've heard of a lot of court cases. I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah. It hasn't gone to court yet, but he's suing them for, uh, I need to probably get better accurate, accurate information. I'll, at the end of this podcast, I'll be sure then post the link to that article that because he did agree to donate his sperm for, to help couples conceive, but he only wanted them to uh, I think he only wanted maybe five or so. He wanted to limit the number of families and he did not want them to be in his demographic area. And they didn't, they did not uh, abide by his requests at all. And so he, he was suing them. So, yeah. So I was just, that's why I asked the question about, did your donor know? Um, it was, he told, what was he told? Was he told it was being used for, for science or for, you know, to conceive? And did he have any say in it at all? or you know, was it just one of those things you're a, you're a med student, you just kind of need to follow the, do what we say, <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what being a med student was back in that day or what it is now, but um, yeah. So did he give you any insight just as, as to that? You know, I didn't ask his motivation, not, not because mm-hmm. I didn't want to, I just didn't even think of it. Yeah. So I, I'm not really sure, but as far as I, I know, it sounds like it was a straightforward, like, yeah, you're going to donate so people can have children and you know i'm i'm very grateful that there wasn't like a you know a bunch of weird lies or or secrecy in that aspect or you know it wasn't like a doctor using his own sperm yes like yes. that yeah yeah and then did you tell your brother what of the news that you found out i did um he was <laughs> the first person i told mm-hmm. and our theory at, at the time where it was an affair, you know, that definitely fell to pieces, but it, we were still under the impression that my brother was, um, my father's son because they happen to look alike. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, so he, he tested around that time and then his results came back and, um, we are full siblings. Even though you look different. Yeah. (laughs) So interesting. So is your donor, so he has darker features like your social dad did? No, he oh. doesn't. Like he has like strawberry blonde hair. He like I I don't know what went into the the choice, but um yeah, he couldn't look more differently from my father. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you weren't the only one who looked At first you said you were the only one who looked different, but you both you and your brother looked different from the rest of the family. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I I guess I'm being confusing. My my brother has like dark features and yeah. he he kind of has like similar eyes to our father who raised us, but uh-huh. 
he's not his son um, or his biological son anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. So he has, so he has dark features and then who has the red hair? Our, um, our biological father does. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And is that what you call him? Your biological father? I do. You do. Okay. And then how do you feel about your, um, the father that raised you? And do you know any more about his medical condition or anything? Um, so in that conversation with my mother, when, when she started to let on to the, oh, we had some problems or reiterate that they had problems, she said he had a condition where he had an extra chromosome. Okay. Like an Kleinfelter syndrome or the XXY or a... <sighs> Something like that, but when I when I looked it up, like it just didn't really correlate with like the symptoms. Like my dad just presented as a a man. Like I think you know some of the information on it was like, oh, the you know the men can grow breasts or um, not always. Actually, it's so funny you bring this up. I just had a guest on whose husband has Kleinfelter syndrome, and she's very open about about it. And he, they had no clue he had it until they went to, to try to have children. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, a lot of men are undiagnosed and don't realize they have it until they have um, infertility issues. That's exactly right. Kleinfelter's uh, syndrome, they, ha- they can have, they have XXY. And so they have two, with two Xs, they yeah. tend to have a few more female traits, but it, sometimes it can just mean they don't grow beards well, or they don't grow chest hair, things like that. So it, it doesn't always mean that they you know, look womanly or anything like that, or that they have, you know, they have breasts or, so it's, it's, everyone's different. There's different degrees of it, I think. So okay. is that, so she's thinking he, that's what he had. He had Kleinfelter syndrome and, and that for, therefore they, they're most commonly don't have any sperm. That would be what I would have to assume from what she was trying to communicate. Like she literally just said, oh, he had a problem where he had an extra chromosome. Yeah. And that was all I got from that Mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. So she told you that part, but still wouldn't go as far as telling you that that they used a donor. You know, do you hold resentment toward her because of of that, that she can't be open and can't tell you what happened? Do you think she's buried the truth from herself somewhere? I I know that can happen too. I know I just threw a lot of questions at you at once. (laughs) (laughs) Answer whichever one you want. (laughs) Um, I'm very empathetic to the desperation of of wanting a child. So I absolutely don't hold any of that against her. But uh, I think that the thing that makes me the most upset about it was that I I came to her with the truth. And, you know, and in the moment, she just, she couldn't, um, you know, let that go. And, you know, we've, we've had issues in the past with boundaries and her making things about herself. And I, I just felt, you know, here we go again. This is why, you know, we didn't talk for so many years. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also really, I'll never know, like if my father knew we were donor conceived, I mean, I would think if he got that diagnosis, he would have some idea, but I, I'll just have never have any way of knowing. Well, and just like the, um, 
the lady that wrote Inheritance, Danny Shapiro. Back then, if you read that book, they talk about, she talks about that they used to mix sperm. Yeah. So her parents went in and the doctors kind of did this little vague talk. You know, let, let me give you the vague medical talk. And a lot of people don't even understand yeah. what, what doctors are saying to them. I mean, I know my parents, my mom just you know, passed away from cancer. And a lot of times the doctor would explain things to him. And it, I know I had to listen really closely and it, it was tough to take it all in, especially when you're in shock, you're in emotional distress. Um, and to have to, to hear like factual information, medical information, if you're not medically trained can be very overwhelming and intimidating. And so a lot of couples will go in and the doctors would say, you know, we're going to do this procedure where we're going to use another man's sperm to help your husband's sperm get up there a little bit better. And that yeah. this, this other sperm is going to help your husband's sperm get there. And then maybe they threw in that, and maybe, you know, who knows if they said, there's probably various things different doctors said at the time, but I think a lot of couples did walk away believing that, yeah, okay, you, they use somebody else's sperm, but that's not the sperm that took. The sperm that took was my husband's. And there was, so there's this whole aspect of denial that was yeah. encouraged. It was encouraged oh, absolutely. in the medical yeah. profession. And, you know, sort of everybody, let's just pull the wool over our eyes and act like nobody knows the truth. And then let's just live in this, in this denial as for as long as we possibly can so far that maybe we can't even see the truth any, anymore. And so then we deny it to ourselves, to our kids and to everyone around us. We're so deeply entrenched in this, in this untruth, this lie, you know, essentially. Um, and so it's, yeah, I think that that can happen and it can just be so hard. And that's why I'm such an advocate for not doing that anymore, for being open. If, if couples choose to, you know, move forward with third party reproduction and do donation, that they're able to come to terms with it mentally and emotionally. And if they can't come to terms with it mentally and emotionally, then it's probably not the rest, the best choice <laughs> for them. So, yeah. I'm really glad that there are people like you who are around to, to guide people through that because I, yeah. you know, I'm, like I said, I'll never know, but I, you know, I have a feeling that <laughs> I don't think they were counseling my parents through this. No, in fact, there's still, counseling is still not standard across the board. It's, yeah. It, there are doctors that do send their uh, patients to counseling, but it's highly recommended, but it's not a requirement. And so it's still, we're still trying to get there. We're still encouraging that. And I th I'm seeing some changes here recently that are positive, but many people still are going through donation conception with zero counseling. Wow. Yeah. So, and it, it really is something that they need to be able to talk to somebody about and just to, to work through some of the different complications of it and psychological aspects and family aspects. And it's just, it's more complicated than, but you know, when they were trying to just say, pretend like you don't know, pretend like this is your child. Don't yeah. tell, don't tell. So you don't have to deal. Yeah. So it, it, this was purposely presented this way so they wouldn't have to educate or wouldn't have to deal with any of the the challenges that yeah. that parents need to ha need help with. They need to they need to be have somebody to talk to about that. And so um, you know, I still have couples come to me and talk to me at first, and they're very much against telling their child. And you know, it's uh, I you know I present my case and I say, you know, I, I'm really open with people now from the beginning. And I said, just listen, I want you to know I'm open. I am, my position is being about being open um, with your child. And so if you don't feel, if you feel strongly against that and you feel strongly like you can't do that, I can't be your counselor. <laughs> so yeah. you'll have to find somebody else um, because that's, that's, I'm going to follow the ASRM guidelines and, and recommend that you 
do tell your child about donation conception. So, so what are your thoughts now about now that you know, and you're coming to terms with it, like how, what's the, been the biggest challenge for you or, you know, what's been the hardest thing for you? Cause it sounds like you're estranged from your mom and do you have a relationship with your biological father then? Yeah. So, um, immediately after learning the truth, like in the months after I had so much anger, I didn't think I could be so angry. Like I've, I've had some negative things happen in my life and I don't think I was even close to being as, as angry as I was in those following months. And it was like an uncomfortable anger. Like I'd be angry and then I would break down and cry because I would just be like, I feel awful. I don't want to be angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I had an ex- existential crisis. I oh, for sure. was yeah. thinking, you know, I shouldn't exist. Um, you know, my parents never met like one in the history. Has that ever happened to people? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there was like, kind of like a, a light had been turned on where it was like, well, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> I was, you know, I always kind of felt out of step with my dad's family. He was very depressed when we were growing up. He was um, an alcoholic. Mm. And I mean, he was always very kind and loving. Like it wasn't, you know, he wasn't abusive at all, but he was just, he was so sad. Do you think um, it had to do with the the fertility issues and the family? I think it, it could have been. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense in retrospect. I know he and my mom didn't have a good relationship at all. There was just Mm. constant fighting and like, he would go around and tell everybody he knew, like, never get married. (laughs) Like way more than joking. Like it got uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, some early studies have shown that men have a harder time with donor conception with sperm donation than men, than women have with egg donation. Yeah. And that men just, for whatever reason, maybe were having more trouble bonding or not feeling like, you know, as legitimate. And, and I don't know why, again, I don't think they were getting services that they needed. Um, yeah. Men don't come to counseling as much as women and they don't really tend to talk things out as, as much as women do. And so I think it's really a, something we need to figure out is how to reach men. And that infertility grief is, is really what I talk about in my book and that how powerful it is. And it's, it's not just for women, it's men go through it too. Yeah. but they just don't really have anywhere to talk about it or to express it. So um, they're supposed to just swallow it and deal with it and take it. And that's, you know, that's not the reality all the times that they, that's not, not everybody can, you know, not men, men are human too. <laughs> men are, men have yeah. feelings too. So yeah. And I just think I, I hear so many stories like yours, especially with a sperm donation and with the dad, the social dad having some depression issues. Yeah. It's, it's not the first time I've heard it. I've heard it quite a bit. So I don't have any research on it, so I can't give you anything that's factual, but you know, it's very interesting to me. Do you have compassion for him? Do you? Do oh, you absolutely. I mean, yeah. we were, we were very close. I was devastated mm, um, yeah. when he passed away. And then, and then again, after getting the news, like I, I just felt like I lost him all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember we were at a family gathering and he was like looking at my hands and he was like, you have a crooked pinky finger. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I have a crooked pinky finger. And he made the statement like, oh, you're, you're really a, and you know, he said our family last Mm -hmm. name. And I was just like, 
of course I am. What are you talking about? Oh, wow. So I wonder if he was even contemplating it, wanting it to be so, and questioning in the back of his mind too, whether you were his biologically and wanting you so bad to, to be that sweet. Yeah. So you don't know if he ever knew, but he must have wondered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, at the least, I, I think that might be the case. Um, I, I was able to speak with, um, one of his sisters, my aunt, and, um, she said nobody had any clue, but, um, I guess my grandmother, um, who since, you know, she passed a couple years ago, she shared that she didn't think we were our father's children. And there, there was a history of infidelity. So I don't know what she was basing that upon. She wasn't like a very touchy feely grandma. So I don't know if maybe that's just how she is or she didn't feel a great bond with us. Yeah, I definitely have a lot of lingering questions about interactions with our dad's family where it's like, you know, did they just somehow were they able to detect that we weren't really related? Mm -hmm. I've often wondered that when, you know, families talk about not telling one side of the family or, or the other, that if you don't tell, does the family still suspect the difference? And then it becomes this tension kind of subject with tension around it. And then do you, as the, the, the child in that situation, feel that, pick up on that? You know, and, and when you were younger, before you knew about being donor conceived, what did you perceive that as? Um, I think I just thought they didn't like us. There were times um, we had one, uh, my dad, uh, my social dad had six brothers and sisters. And um, one of them was, um, or is very religious. And um, my brother came out as gay in high school. And we ended up getting um, this letter on Christmas Eve that had like, oh, you should send your kids to gay programming camp. And and they said kids as in plural. And I was like, well, I'm not gay. I mean, that's awful that they sent that. But I was like, I don't even know where they got that idea. But, mm-hmm. you know, they're just throughout, throughout our um, childhood, you know, anytime we got together and if there was trouble, it was like, oh, well, Colleen must have done that. Or, you know, my brother must have done that. It, there were just mm-hmm. was so much blame. And I just never... I didn't put a lot of thought into it though either. I just kind of tried to avoid mm-hmm. <laughs> going to family events because it was it was just always so tense and our our parents' separation was put a lot of strain on that too. So I think maybe I just attributed the way they treated us with their perception of our mother and that breakup. So Okay. Yeah. yeah. Could be. It's it's so hard to know the truth. You know, it's so hard to know what's what and Families are have, there's all kinds in every family, everybody, every family has that uncle or that aunt or, you know, and so, yeah. yeah so, but still it's, it's amazing how all those things become more highlighted or even heightened after you find out yeah. about your situation and about being donor conceived, because then you you look back at all those different things. Some may relate, others may not. Others, like you said, might be about the separation and, or it could be about, they sensed there was something different. Maybe they didn't know what it was, maybe your parents were very, very private in general about with across the board. So then there was this suspicion of, of an affair possibly. You know, I write about that in my book too, is that when you don't tell 
everyone the truth or, you know, if you're not yeah. more open about it, then they, that is a common thing that happens. They start to see differences, different traits, the strawberry blonde hair. It's like, was there a fair? And then you're carrying this shame or this imposed shame as a kid and you had nothing to do with this. Yeah. And if you were to leave, if there's something you wanted to share, just leave people with what, is there anything you want to share? I, th- I think having been in some of these groups, I see, um, I think a, a, I see a lot of hurt, um, you know, from people who are infertile and, um, you know, people who are donor conceived and, um, it's, it's not a tragedy competition. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I've, I've seen that shared on, you know, both sides. It's like, well, you don't know what it's like to be infertile. You don't know what it's like to be donor conceived. Um, I'd say that the big difference for me has been, um, while there's still a feeling of loss in both, Mm-hmm. Um, on the DC side of things, now that I know what's happened, or at least have a better idea than I did before, um, I can't change it. That's nice. um, whereas the infertile side is, I probably can't change that either. But yeah, <laughs> um, I might have a little more control if I chose to put in the you know the time and the money to to seeking treatment. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm really grateful um, with my situation. I know of DC people who have been rejected um, by their parents after reaching out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, my biological father is, as far as I can tell, an upstanding citizen, mm-hmm. um, and a nice person after I mm-hmm. met him. Um, I've, I'm Facebook friends with him and um, one of the, the children um, he raised. And I've been able to meet a couple donor siblings and they're great people too. So I'm, I'm very fortunate that, um, that end of thing, you know, it's worked out for me. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Jana Rupnow LPC. And you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby, on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.